Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he was seen of Cephas, and he was seen of the twelve, and he was seen of about five hundred brethren at one time, of whom the greater part are still living. Some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen of me as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not me to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yea, not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, so you believe. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher, Dr. John G. Mitchell, was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. Our name, the Unchanging Word, reflects the fact that the eternal Word of God is never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. Our Lord Jesus Christ Himself said, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Dr. Mitchell continues our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 1, and here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you, and again I say... And I say it uh, from the very depths of my heart. It's a real joy for me to sit down here and talk to you about our wonderful Savior. And we have come now to a wonderful chapter in the New Testament, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, commonly known as the Resurrection Chapter. Just as chapter 13 was the love chapter, now 15 is the Resurrection Chapter. I'm so glad that the Apostle Paul wrote as he did to the Corinthian church, so that we can have all these wonderful truths laid out for us clearly, powerfully, so that you and I can enjoy to the full that which we have in Christ. Now, we have been dealing in our last few lessons in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of Corinthians. And again, I want to bear down upon the fact that where chapter 12 has the bestowal of gifts and chapter 14 is the exercise of the gifts, uh, chapter 13, in between, you have the governing of the gifts by love. And one can have all the gifts of the Spirit. If there's no love, Paul says they're nothing. In other words, the great desire of, of God is for the edification, the building up of his own people. And gifts are given for that. And if what you do does not build up the body of Christ, then my friend, it's, it's an empty thing. 
The Lord wants us to be occupied with our precious Savior, the one who burst the bands of the tomb, which brings us into this 15th chapter, a great foundational chapter on the resurrection of Christ. And as one reads this book, you'll remember that in verse, in verse 12 of this chapter, it seems as if there were those in the Corinthian church who did not believe in the physical resurrection, that is, in bodily resurrection. And reading from verse 12, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ is not raised, what do you have? Nothing. So what do you have in the chapter? I am sure that many in the Corinthian church were affected by the philosophies of the day. You remember the Epicurean philosophy, which is quite um, evident in Paul's day. You remember he spoke of it in Acts chapter 17. And you have it here again in, in Corinthians chapter 15. If there's no resurrection, then let us eat, let us drink, let's be merry, for tomorrow we die. Nothing left for us. Might as well get the most you can out of life. And by the way, a great many people have that same philosophy. They believe there's nothing after death, and hence, if there's no resurrection, there's be no judgment. So let us eat, let us drink, let's be merry. Let's get all we can out of life. And still they're not satisfied, by the way. And then there were other philosophies of the day, like the Platonic philosophy, who believed that the body is dead and put in the tomb or the ground, goes back to dust. That's the end of it. But in some way, the spirit is going to live on forever. So when we come to your New Testament, when it talks about resurrection, as far as I remember, it never once speaks of the resurrection of a spirit. It always deals with the resurrection of the body. So in the first 11 verses of chapter 15, the Apostle Paul speaks of the fact that the gospel is guaranteed by the resurrection of our Lord. I want you to mark this, and I'm going to read the first few verses. Moreover, brethren, I de declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas and of the twelve, and so on. Now, you notice in the first four verses, he talks about the gospel of our Savior, the good news which guaranteed salvation. But he first of all gives a warning. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now is, Peter, is Paul talking about the fact that a person can be really saved and lost? He's not even talking about that. There were some who were denying the resurrection, the physical resurrection. And Paul says, The gospel I declared unto you was concerning a person who died, was buried, and was raised again. If you do not believe that he was raised again from the dead, then you haven't got the real gospel of the grace of God. 
not as you believed in vain. I wonder sometimes at the present time if there are those today who have heard the message of the gospel all their lifetime, but they have never been brought into a personal relationship with the risen Christ. And let me just suggest, if Jesus Christ be not raised from the dead, you haven't anything. And Paul says, I preached unto you the resurrection of Christ as a guarantee of the salvation which he accomplished at the cross, unless you believed in vain, unless you didn't lay hold of it. I'm sure there are a great many people today who belong to Christian churches who have never, never been born again. Now, I can't be the judge of that. But I do know one thing, that when a person accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you enter into a new relationship, into a new life. As Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in the second book, chapter 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, in this risen Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so the apostle Paul here is questioning them on the reality of their faith in a risen Savior. Then he goes on to repeat verses 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now notice how Paul brings in this question of the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. As you go back to the Old Testament, for he's referring back to the Old Testament, uh, under the laws of, the, of Moses and the Levitical law and so on, at the, in the tabernacle as well as in the temple, you have offerings for sin, for trespasses and so on. And as Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Do you remember in Isaiah chapter 3, 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. In the 22nd Psalm, the 69th Psalm, where it talks about the suffering of our Savior. In the 22nd Psalm, how they taunted him. In the 69th Psalm, I was a song of the drunkard. I give my back to the, to the smiters, and so on. You have this in the 22nd, 69th Psalm. When you come to Isaiah chapter 50, and Isaiah 52 as well, 53. For example, in chapter 50, I gave my back to the smiters. I gave my cheeks to those who plucked off their hair. I hid not my face from shame or spitting. But he that standeth by me will justify me. Of whom does the prophet write? None other than our Savior. Or in chapter 52, at the end of the chapter, his face was marred more than any man's. Then we come to chapter 53. And again, I quote verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or you take Hebrews chapter 10. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats can take away sin. All they did in the Old Testament was to cover sin. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and of goats to take away sin. But this man, Jesus Christ, by one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Or Hebrews 9, 26, He appeared once in the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Or in 1 John 3, 5, You know He was manifested 
to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And even as dear John the Baptist could cry out in John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So you have here, Paul is reiterating the gospel, which I declared unto you, said Paul, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. He was buried according to the Scriptures. There's no question, my friend, that the Jews made sure that Christ died. The Romans made sure that he was dead before they put him in the tomb. This idea that some men have that Christ just swooned on the cross, his disciples took him down, took his body away, and he resuscitated. And then they came along and said he'd been raised from the dead. The folly of such a thing. Do you think the Jews who cried out, (coughs) away with him, crucify him? He's going to be satisfied unless they're sure he's dead. Even Pilate said to the centurion, are you sure he's dead? Yes, they took a spear and thrust it into his side. And out came blood and water. When they took Jesus from the cross, he was dead already. Do you remember the Roman soldiers break the bones of the two dying thieves, one on each side of Christ? When they came to Jesus, they were surprised. As the scripture has said, by the way, not a bone of him shall be broken. And he was buried according to the scriptures. And then you have the third thing, that he was raised again the third day according to the scriptures. 16th Psalm, you remember, Thou shalt not leave my soul in Sheol, nor wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. According to 16th Psalm, you know, no question about in your Old Testament, resurrection was physical. Even Job could say that in Job 19, 23 to 27, when he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and his feet shall stand upon the earth in the latter day, and the worms destroy this body. I shall yet in my flesh see God by my side. And when I see him, behold, he is not a stranger. Isaiah 26, verse 19, With their dead bodies shall they rise. Likewise, in Daniel chapter 12, the first three verses, those who are in the dust of the earth shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and so on. Then you have it, you remember in John 11, uh, verse 23 to 25, where Martha said to Jesus, when our Lord said to Martha, you remember, your brother will rise again. Lazarus had died, was already buried in the tomb. And Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And she said, oh, yes, I know, I know. He'll be raised again in the resurrection of the last day. Where did Martha get her idea from? From the Old Testament. Job, Isaiah, from Daniel, possibly other places. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. That statement is absolutely false if Jesus Christ is not raised again from the dead. Before he can raise others from the dead, before he can defeat death in the grave, he must go down into the bowels of death and defeat it and come forth in resurrection. 
See, I'm dealing with a very, very important thing today. So Paul says, the gospel which I declared unto you, what is the gospel? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We were the ones that should have died. We were the ones who had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But he was the one who bare our sins in his own body on the tree. And he was buried and raised again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then was seen. Now from verses 5 to 11, we have the certainty of resurrection witnessed to by the early apostles. I want you to mark it very, very simply. It's very simple. The great message of the book of Acts, you remember, was the resurrection of Christ. And do you think these Jews were fools to leave everything and go out and preach about one who had burst the bands of the tomb if he had not done so? Are these men liars? Listen to what? He was seen of Peter. Then he was seen of the twelve. Then he was seen of about 500 brethren at one time, of whom the greater part are still, are still living, says Paul. Some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James. I believe he's talking about James, the brother of our Lord. Then of all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen of me as of one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, so on. Here you have the witnesses. I'm reminded of Peter in his epistle, chapter 1, verse 3, when Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a living hope, a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In verse 21 of the same chapter, we read, Who... By him do believe in God who raised him from the dead that your faith and your hope might be in God. These men were not fools. These were men were not having dreams. They saw the Lord. And you know, when I think about that, I'm reminded the first one to see Jesus after resurrection was Mary Magdalene, the woman out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons. Only Jesus could do that. And he met Mary Magdalene. She was the first one he met. You find that, by the way, in Mark 16. Then he met the 12. And then Paul says, He met me as of one born out of due time. I'm not me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. What does Paul mean when he says, I was born out of due time? I wonder if Paul has in mind the fact that in the book of Zechariah, chapter 12 and 13, you remember there the prophet speaks of the fact when the Lord is going to return to his own people Israel, they shall see him whom they pierced. And they shall say unto him, Where did you receive these wounds? And he shall say, I received them in the house of my friends. Isaiah 66, a nation is going to be born in one day. When was that be? When will that be? When they see him, when they see him whom they pierced. And you remember the apostle, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah in 66, whoever heard of a nation being born in a day. And Zechariah comes along and says, they're going to see him whom they pierced. And I read there'll be national mourning, repentance, 
I think the fulfilling of the day of atonement when the whole nation will come before God in repentance of their sin, and they shall see him whom they pierced. Paul says, being a Jew, I'm born out of due time. How was he saved? By the personal appearance of Christ to him on the road to Damascus. You find that in Acts chapter 9. And you remember there was a voice out of heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who are you, Lord? As I've oftentimes said, Paul wasn't surprised at hearing from heaven. Why shouldn't he hear from heaven? Apostles of old, the prophets of old heard from heaven. Why shouldn't he? Marvelous thing. I am Jesus. My, what a revelation. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. No wonder Paul could say in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 14 and 15, he said, Before I came to the Savior, I was a, I was a blasphemer. I was a blasphemer. But this is a faithful saying, unworthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You do notice this, by the way, in this chapter 15. In verse 9, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not made to be called an apostle. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, he said, he was less than the least of all saints. And in 1 Timothy, he's the chief of sinners. Did you notice the humility of this man, Paul? Marvelous thing. I'm not me to be called an apostle. I'm less than the least of all saints. I'm the chief of sinners. Why? Before this, I was a blasphemer. I persecuted the church of God. I threw men, women, and children into prison. I stood by and watched them stone the first martyr, Stephen, and was on the road to Damascus to put these Christians in jail to persecute them. And he met the risen Savior. My friend, this was no idle dream. This wasn't a nightmare. By any means, he met the Savior. He could say to the Corinthian church, Have not I seen the Lord? I tell you, the real apostle. Now let me close with that. I am not the least of the apostles. I'm not me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yea, not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether I, it were I or they, so we preach, so you believed. On what? On a risen, glorified Savior. My friend, you couldn't fool this man. And by the way, you can't fool me either. Having experienced not only relationship, but fellowship with the risen Son of God. My friend, the earth can be blown to a thousand fragments. Wouldn't affect the fact of my relationship or with Paul's relationship to the Savior. If Christ be not raised from the dead, we haven't anything. So here you have the early church. Guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I've got a gospel. I've got good news for men. I can tell any sinner that I meet, sir, woman, if you will put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I will guarantee to you you'll pass from death to life. I'll guarantee to you you'll never again see your sins. I'll guarantee to you a hope that is guaranteed by a risen Savior. Did he bear my sins? Yes. Did my sins put him on the cross? Yes. Put him in the tomb? Yes. But he was raised again from the dead. Then what happened? 
to our saints. My friend, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Now may the Lord wonderfully bless you today. May he make his face to shine upon you. And may your own heart be filled with that joy and that love of the Savior. If I'm speaking to any today who have never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, I plead with you, my friend, we offer you not a dead Christ, not a buried Christ, but a risen Christ, who is at the right hand of God, pleading for men and women. I offer you a perfect, eternal, complete Savior, guaranteed by the resurrection. Now the Lord bless you today for his precious name's sake. Death could not hold him, now life has a goal. Jesus is coming, we all will be whole. The life that he gives us, so rich and so free, will go on forever. Eternally All praise to the sun Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.